All right, this is part 30 in our study on law and gospel. And we're still in thesis number three, so we're done really good. Uh, Sunday School Hour was all dedicated to Colossians chapter 3. Um, I'm not going to go back and review everything. Um, Colossians 3 has been sort of... It was a part of a Today's Focus podcast episode. It was a part of, I don't know what series to put it in, just a devotional message where I spent an hour working on it. And we just spent another hour working on Colossians chapter 3. Kind of a, a little bit of a test on our ability to, to see law and gospel. So we won't go back through all of that. If you remember, thesis number 3, if you need to look at it, you can find it. Um, thesis number 3. That's what we're going to try to complete in this hour. That is the goal. That is the goal, right? Think we can do it? Okay. All right. Nobody seems very confident. All right. Here we go. We don't have far to. You know, as soon as we get to the scripture, it's when it's all going to fall apart. And and some and some of the difficulty in working through thesis number three, I can't get all the blame for how slow we're moving. Some of the problem is they've used used some scriptures here that we've had to basically do what. We've had to go back through the entire passage and go, well, I don't know what they're saying. I don't know what they're doing because they've used some really weird passages to try to make them say something that I don't think the text says. So, but that's okay, right? That's, that's part of, uh, you know, uh, that's why, that's why to me, um, I don't, you know, I understand that's, I understand the way it's supposed to work. If you take too long in a series, everyone loses their interest. And obviously I do it the wrong way, but. I mean, if every week I've got to be preaching something, then why am I worried about how fast to get through a series? What should be most important? Dealing with the text. Dealing with the text, right? I don't get that. Like, you know, we covered 1 Corinthians in six months. No, you didn't. You know, what is that? You can't cover three verses in six months. What are you even talking about? You see, you didn't deal with the text. You did what? You preached sermons. Remember I always talk about there's a difference between sermons and the text. And in most cases, the sermons do what? Actually distract you from the text and take you from the text. And that, that should never be the case. So if we read a scripture, what are we going to do? We're going to deal with that scripture even if it slows us down from the series because we're not here to preach a series. We're here to deal with the, the truth. Does that make sense? And whether not everyone agrees with my, my concept there, but that's okay. All right, so thesis number three is rightly distinguishing the law and the gospel is what? Rightly distinguishing the law and the gospel is the what? Most difficult and the highest art of Christians in general and theologians in particular. And just make sure we remember in this church, we do not draw a distinction between Christians and theologians. All right? We do not draw a distinction between Christians and theologians. Why do we not draw a distinction in this church between Christians and theologians? What is theology? Study and knowledge of God. So should that not be every Christian? So every Christian is a theologian, whether they want to claim to be or not. They're either a good theologian or a bad theologian. They're either a committed theologian or a lazy theologian. But they're all theologians. And if you don't believe that, just hop on social media and say one thing about a Bible verse, and every Christian will act like that they are a professional theologian. All right? Because they all think they know it and understand it. Right? That's just the reality. So, I don't like drawing the distinction. So, but all right. So, it's, it's, di- it's, the, it's the most difficult and highest art for everyone. And it's taught only where? The school of experience. School of experience. Why is it taught in the school of experience? 
Because learning the concepts of law and gospel in theory is of no real value, right? It's when we get to living it out in practice is where we really, really, truly understand it and really, really learn it. It's like, think of it this way, right? You can read all the books in the world about parenting, right? You can read them, you can have it memorized, you can even have your notebook of all those sermons you learned about uh, how to raise your kids, right? Remember, what was, my, what was my rule all the years I was a pastor here? I never preached on parenting, right? Why did I always say that? Because I have no clue how, because how many pastors have preached on parenting only to see their kids do what? The opposite of everything, right? So, because I don't think there's any really set rules. I don't think that, because you can try to come up with all the supposed rules, but here's the thing. Learning the rules about parenting become very different where? In parenting, right? In parenting. That's how come it's always the young couples who think they know everything. They criticize everyone else's parenting, and then by the time they become grandparents, they're just like, whatever, whatever, whatever. Nothing works. Whatever, I mean, because you can have three kids, give them the exact same parenting and get three results. And you're like, what, what, wait, what just happened here? Like, I don't know. You were, and, and if you listen to the three, you think they were all raised in a different family. Right? Well, different people. You're like, wait, what, what family were you raised in? Because you're, what you're telling me does not sound like this family. Are you sure? Maybe you moved out and we didn't realize it. And you were gone for a couple of years because I don't know what you're talking about. But the same thing happens with law and gospel. We can learn the principles, but it's once we get into life is where all of a sudden, and sometimes it takes years and years and years before we're like, man, I really had this all messed up for most of my Christian life. And that's typically, as a parent, by the time you get to the end, you realize... I had this all messed up. <laughs> like, that's, that's an unpleasant place to end up, isn't it? It is, but it's just the reality, right? And it's the same thing because we, we think concepts, concepts are easy in, as a concept, but they're never easy in practice. So we talked about law and gospel, and we've t- tried to understand that concept. Everybody remember uh, that, that kind of whole discussion? All right, I'm going to jump in in the middle of this book, page 21. They, we, we talked a little bit about 1 John 3, 19 through 20. We've already covered that. We're not going to go back to the passage, but just in, in connection to that, the book reads, After Christians have learned to make the proper practical use of the distinction between the law and the gospel, they join St. John in saying, God is greater than my heart. He has rendered a different verdict on men's sinning. And that applies also to me. In other words, here's the point. When you learn it in practice, you're going to realize that God's verdict on my sinning is what? Forgiven. God is greater than my sin. God has washed it away. You see the reality of that verdict in in it when you realize it. Blessed are you if you have learned this difficult art. If you have learned it, do not imagine yourselves perfect. Amen? Right? If you've learned some parenting tips, do not think yourself perfect. If you've learned some theology, do not think yourself perfect. You will always be no more than beginners in the art. When it comes to law and gospel, you will never be anything more than a beginner. You will never be anything more. 
You can study this subject for 500 years. You're never going to be... And why are you always going to be a beginner in this subject? Why? Because we all have a natural inclination to what? We've talked about this over and over and over. Law. We, we think law. We feel law. We are motivated by law. We are law people. That's what we are. And so we're always going to we're always going to be beginners here because we're always going to struggle. You uh, remember this when the law condemns you. Then immediately lay a hold upon the gospel. Want to make sure everyone if you don't write anything else down this morning, write that down. When the law condemns you, you immediately do what? Lay hold upon the gospel. When the law condemns you, you immediately lay hold upon the gospel. What do we typically do in our way of thinking within evangelicalism? When the law condemns you, come on, what do you think we typically say? Try harder. Read your Bible more. Pray more. Go to church more. Buy a book on it. Get an accountability partner. Get a small group. Right? And, and all of that means what? Law, 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 law. You'll hear it constantly. And I know that people are getting ready to get mad at me, but I don't really care because this, this is just the truth. And so many churches, it's like this. Okay, you show up to church. That's wonderful. That's great. But your Christian life, you need more in your Christian life. You know what you need? You don't need to just come to church. You need small group. You need small group because it will help you grow. And then you can have that community and you can get what you need. That sounds wonderful, right? In theory. But that's nothing but law. Because now, not only do you have to show up to church on Sunday, now you've got to go to small group on Tuesday or Thursday. And then small group is going to have a study. Typically, they're going to give you something to read that you're supposed to read. And then you come back to the... And we think that the more we do, if I go to this class, if I go to this, if I go to this, 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 I'm going to finally do it. What are you going to finally do? Be busy? And then typically, you're giving more and more things to do that you feel more and more what? Guilty. Or you're going and you're having what kind of an attitude? And bad attitude. Oh, man. You know how I feel about the whole small group thing. I'll never just comprehend, never understand it for long because it's nothing more than social clubs. The whole thing drives me crazy. But I can't, I, I've worked with so many people in my military career who all they would ever do is complain about small group. Oh, man. I got small group tonight. I got to take the kids here and then I got to go there to so-and-so's house and I got to come back. And I don't know why it's always at their house. And then, and then, uh, da, 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 da. I'm like, you know what? Just stay at home. Just stay at home and get drunk. You'll be better off than small group because your attitude is garbage. Oh, I know. I just probably offended all kinds of people. But, but I mean, like, what's the point? You, you know what you're doing? You're trying to live through a law-based mentality. You're saying, so we should just do nothing? Well, if you're going to have that bad of an attitude, doing nothing may be better, okay? That's not valuable. Does that make sense? Yes? When you sin, what do you turn to? Yeah, but what should we turn to? Like, what, what did I tell you to write down? Whenever we sin, lay hold immediately. On the gospel. When the law condemns you, immediately lay hold upon the gospel. When you feel condemned, gospel. When you feel condemned, gospel. When you feel you've failed, 
Gospel. When you feel you fell short, gospel. You have to get that down. You have to. And immediately people are like, oh, oh but you're, you're going to lead to people just doing whatever they want. They're going to do whatever they want anyway. Yep. Be motivated by the gospel. Right? Then they go on to say, like two hostile forces, law and gospel clash sometimes within a person, person's conscience. They fight. The gospel says what? You have been received into God's grace. Oh, man, that feels, I feel good, man. I've been, I've been received into God's grace. All right, great, 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 great. And what does the law say in your mind? Do not believe it. Look at your past life. How many, grie- how many and grievous are your sins? Examine the thoughts and desires that you have harbored in your mind. That's what it, the, the, the law's always going to tell you, come on, come on. What were you thinking yesterday? What were you thinking last night? What did you do? What did you say to your wife? What did you want to say to your wife? What did you say to your husband? What were you really wanting to say to your husband? Right? What did you say to your kid? What did you really want to say to your kids? What did you say to that person who cut you off in traffic? What did you really want to say to that person who cut in traffic? You look deep enough, what are you going to see? Sin, 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 sin. Failure, 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 failure. Which can lead to what? Say what? Depression, it can. Or it can make you just say, this whole Christian thing doesn't work. Or I'm not saved. That's what, that's what the, the modern church will lead you to thinking. But the gospel says what? You've been received into God's grace. You're forgiven. Don't you see the battle that happens in here? Right? On this occasion, like this, it is difficult to divide law and gospel. Do you, believe, do you find it difficult to divide law and gospel in your own mind and your own heart? It's very difficult. It's a struggle. When this happens to a person, he must say to the law, away with you, your demands have been fully met and you have nothing to demand of me. Now see, to say that, people are going to scream, antinomian! But the reality is, the law has no more demand on you because it's all been fulfilled in whom? In Christ. For every law, for every sin, someone says, you, I bet you committed this sin. You're, you're, you're right. And, you, and I've committed sins you don't even know about. Now, should I, I, I always struggle with trying not to continue to do it. I don't want to do it, but I, but I have to admit that I do it, right? But I have to remember what? That I'm forgiven. Someone has paid my debt. Yes? This difficulty does not occur to a person dead in their trespasses and sins. Let me say this again. This fight, this struggle doesn't happen to someone dead in their trespasses and sins. Right? Someone dead in their trespasses and sins could care less. This, but this is the reality of a Christian. This, I know I'm a sinner, but I know I'm forgiven. That's, that, that's, that's the struggle. That's the reality of the Christian life. Or at least the reality of mine. Maybe y'all have got it all figured out. All right? But the difficulty is quite real to a person who has been converted. We now consider... We now consider that also for theologians, as such, 
the proper distinction between law and gospel is the highest and most difficult art and that everything else that a theologian must know is of less value than this art. All right? So now they're going to try to focus on the theologians, but we are going to look at it from what perspective? For all of us, because we all have to struggle with this. All right? And we've already looked at some of these scriptures. They One, they completely, we don't know what they did, but let's just go through this quickly. All right? First one was 2 Timothy 2.15. Everybody remember this? 2 Timothy 2.15. Some of you probably don't remember. We're going to go through these quickly. Second Timothy 2.15. King James says, Study to show thyself approved. We can get into that other translations don't use that phrase, but it is telling you to put forth some kind of effort. But what, is, what does it say to do? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, do, doing what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And rightly dividing the word of truth, they are connecting with which concept? Law and gospel. Law and gospel. Right? Everybody see that? All right. Then the next passage, everybody remember the next passage we looked at? Luke 12. And we're not going to go back through that because it took us forever to go through that. Yes? And we had to do what? Throw out everything they said. (laughs) All right. We had to throw out everything they said because I don't know what in the world they were doing, all right? Now, this brings us this morning or this afternoon, whatever time it is, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. This is where we're going to be, 2 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 2 and 2 Corinthians 3. Everybody ready? Thinking caps on. All right, 2 Corinthians 2.16. 2 Corinthians 2.16. Two, now, oh man, let's go back to, uh, let's go back to verse 12. We're going to have to do some context, yes? Don't you agree that's best? All right, good. I, I'm, I hope someone says amen. All right, 2 Corinthians 2.12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now let's stop right here. That word savor, what is that? What is the meaning of the word savor? Someone look it up in the Greek really quick. If you have a Bible dictionary, you can look it up there if there's an entry for it. Do what? Fragrance. Okay. Does the Greek word offer more insight? If the Bible dictionary has an entry on it, someone can tell me. It's S-A-V-O-U-R. What does the Greek word give us? What does the Greek word give us? This becomes this is going to be an important part of the whole morning. Everybody's looking. You don't have to say the Greek word, just what's the definition of it? Okay. Okay. A fragrance, literally or 
figuratively, all right? So that there's a, a, a fragrance, something that we can smell, right? Now, what does it say here? That, that maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. That in a sense, that as a believer, we put forth a fragrance, a savor, right? Yes? yes. So, so far, so good? All right, next verse. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Stop right there. Oh, that's a beautiful picture, is it not? What are we? A sweet savor. To whom? But what's the savor of? What's this fragrance of? The fragrance of Christ. How, if I stand before God, in a sense, the fragrance that I put forth is what? Of Christ. It's sweet. Now why, how can I put forth a sweet savor to God? You would think that what God would, in a sense, figuratively speaking, obviously it's using this, this imagery, that God would, oh, that's horrific. That's horrible. That's the worst smell I've ever, get, be gone. But, but he smells what? A sweet savor of whom? Christ. Because why can he smell that? Because I, say it. We're in Christ. We are in Christ. We are in Christ. That is, is that not a mind-blowing concept? That, that's, uh, what, uh, what verse was that that we just read? 16, how does the NIV translate it? Oh, uh, 15. 15, okay. Uh, 15 says, okay, uh, unto God we are a sweet savor. And that's the NIV? Okay. We are the aroma of Christ. There, that's what I was looking for. We are the aroma of Christ. Isn't that hard to believe? You are the aroma of Christ. Now, what is that based off of? The imputed righteousness of Christ. Everyone, I want to make sure everyone never forgets that. With the imputed righteousness of Christ. That's how you are the aroma of Christ. You're the aroma of Christ, not because of what you do or don't do. What, in other words, what never changes your aroma? Your actions. Because you're in Christ Jesus. So far, so good, yes? Everybody got this? All right, I hope so. All right. Let's keep going. Right? That's a beautiful verse. I, I would hope everyone would be like, wow, that's awesome. Yes? Okay, I think so. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, and to them that are, are, are... Hang on, go back to verse 15. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. All right? So we, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ... In them that are saved and in them that perish. How does the NIV uh, translate all of verse 15? All right, so, so we are this to God in the midst of those who are saved and those who are uh, perishing, right? So here, think of it. We're around all of these people, saved and lost, Yes? Unto God, what are we? The aroma of Christ. Right? 
but we are around all of these other people. Now what happens, now that it's going to break it down, is it not? To the one, we are the savor of death, unto death. And to the other, the savor of life, unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? That seems odd, isn't it? So to God, what am I? The sweet aroma of Christ. To others, what am I? To one, the smell of death. And to the other, the fragrance of life. Isn't that crazy? How can I be different things to different people? How can they... How, what's the problem here? Well, does, it, does the next verse offer any insight? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God and the sight of God speak we in Christ. They don't really explain why. Why is it that way? Yes, does it explain it? It kind of leaves it, right? All right, we'll go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. They want us to carry this concept. All right, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's go to verse, they want us to read, I think, 4 through 6. 4 through 6. Yep, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, and the Spirit giveth life. Now you have the life and death kind of concept, yes, which goes back to the, the smell of death or the smell of life, right? So there's kind of a correlation. Let, let, I'm not, I, oh, there's more I want to do here, but let's see what they're going to do with it. All right, what do you think they're getting ready to do with it? What do you think? What do you think? Well, here we go. I'm not gonna. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna put you on the spot. From God alone, the apostles expect His qualification for this high and difficult art. It's only from God alone that we can even come close to trying to understand this long gospel. Preach so that every hearer feels. He means me. Right? In other words, we are to preach or we are to give God's word in a way that everyone says, oh, he's speaking of me. All right? Okay, maybe. All right? I, I think I know where they're going with this. He has painted the hypocrite exactly as I am. Again, the pastor may have described a person afflicted with temptation so plainly that the actual a victim of the temptation has to admit, that is my condition. The penitent person must soon feel, while listening to the pastor, that comfort is meant for me. I am to to appropriate it. The alarmed soul must be led to think, oh, this is a sweet message that is for me. Yea, the impenitent, too, must be made to acknowledge the preacher has painted my exact portrait. So in other words, we're to preach in such a way that everyone feels like, it's, it's about me. Or, let's think of it this way, that we preach and correctly apply the scripture in such a way that it feels like it's for us. Now, this is all theoretical. 
Because it doesn't really work that way in preaching, does it? Oh, come on, let's be honest. Does it really work that way in preaching? Sometimes it does. But what happens sometimes when you correctly paint the picture? Well, what typically happens in preaching when you correctly paint the picture is people get mad and get offended and say, how dare you even insinuate that's me? How dare you say that about me? Don't say that about me. And then they get mad and they go somewhere else. Okay, that's typically how it works, right? So in theory, this doesn't work the way it's supposed to. I understand. I like the romanticized version of preaching, right? Where I preach. It's, it's like everyone who's ever been to Bible college or seminary, that's what you envision, right? Oh man, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to preach and everybody going to have their notebook and they're going to be taking notes and they're like, come on, give me more. Oh, this is awesome. And they're going to be loving. They're going to have questions and they're going to call you on Monday with questions and it's going to be, and then you become a pastor and you're like, okay, well, that was a nice dream. Okay. Because it doesn't work that way, does it? Well, you think everyone's going to be appreciative. People get offended or get mad because you don't give them what they think they need, they want, or the interpretation that they believe is correct. So everyone wants to get what they want. <sighs> and some, some preachers then realize for, for career longevity, the pastor soon realizes that his job is to do what? Give everyone what they want. Even everyone in the pew will say, I don't want a preacher who gives me what I want. <laughs> give me a break. Yes, you do. Because the second I don't give you what you want, you go find it. Somewhere else, right? I mean, come on. I've been through this too many times. It's the oldest game in the, in the book. And so I, I love their beautiful picture here. But if you think about it, does the text really fit their beautiful picture? For some people, I'm going to be the savior of what? Go back to death. Do you think they're going to appreciate that? They're pretending that people will. It doesn't work that way. For some people, I'm going to be the savior of what? Life. Now, how does this apply to law and gospel? Sometimes we have to be the savior of death. You know why? Because sometimes people need to hear the law. Sometimes we're going to be the savior of life because we present gospel. Not only that, I really want... Now, this is where me and the book would have massive disagreements, and I disagree, and this is where I disagree with many in the Reformed world. I could care... Look, my job, because they would say your job is to always give law and gospel, and you know I completely disagree with that, right? What am I to give you? The text. And if the text is law and a savor of death, then guess what you're going to smell? That. And they'll say, well, what if the person doesn't come back next week? I can't. Look, if I try to preach worrying about who's going to be here each week, do you know how difficult it is to try to preach that way? You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, I mean, I mean, so people here every week can get irritated by the review that I already do. It's, it would just be like, you'd never get anywhere. What do I have to do? I got to preach the text. I can't worry about adding stuff that's not in the text so that you won't get confused. My job is if you get confused, come back next week. 
I mean, really, I mean, I, it gets frustrating, but I, I mean, I, I've just, I've, I've, I've seen that too many times. I mean, it, it, it's, sometimes it's maddening. People are like, hey, I really need to understand this. I'm like, okay, everyone, starting for Sunday school, we're going to work on this. And then typically the people who said they need that never show back up for Sunday school. And you're like, well, what was the point of doing that in the first place? So what you have to do is just preach the text as it is and deal with it, right? Because that, 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 that's all you can do. Sometimes the text, in a sense, smells like what? Death. And sometimes it smells like life. My job, though, is to so teach you law and gospel that when you feel that death or smell it, what should you grab onto? The gospel. You can grab onto it. You say, no, it's your job to present it. If the text doesn't, I don't. And what would be my, what would be my argument to justify my approach? Why would you think I can justify my approach for doing it this way? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus always give both? Absolutely not. Did he give the rich young ruler the gospel? He did not. Remember the rich young ruler went away what? Sorrowful. Did Jesus say, hey, come back, you misunderstand. I died for you. Did he do that? When he was like utterly obliterating the Pharisees, did he say, hey, but just remember, I died, I'm going to die for you. Did he do that? He did not. Sometimes it's confusing, isn't it? Sometimes like, Jesus, why are you being so, like, this person you're so nice to and this person you're condemning. This person you seem to offer eternal life to and this person you didn't even give them a hint. And then we try to come up with all of our theological ways around it. Guess what? I'm going to take the same approach. If the word gives me law, what am I giving you? And if if the passage gives me gospel, what am I giving you? It's not my job to impose something upon the text. Right, so I, so I, but you see where the, the sweet savor now fits law and gospel concept, yes? All right. They said, accordingly, the preacher must understand how to depict accurately the inward condition of every one of his hearers. A mere objective presentation of the various doctrines is not sufficient to this end. A person may be orthodox, may have perceived the pure doctrine, but he is not in personal communion with God, has not yet settled his account with God, has not yet attained the assurance that his debt of sins have been remitted. Now, once again, the problem is, they're telling me, okay, I I mean, how does this even work? Like, okay, hey, we're going to study this gospel, or we're going to study this doctrine. Now, somewhere in my sermon, I have to go, okay, I got to consider the hearts of every hearer. Okay, well, Bobby gets the doctrine, but I think inwardly, he doesn't, he, he's got some sin. Like, how do I, I, I that, 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 I don't know what that turns a sermon into. That, you know what that turns, the, I, I can tell you what the sermon, it turns it into. It turns it into what? A sermon and not the text. If the text gives me the doctrine, I can't worry about your inward heart. What can I teach? The doctrine that's in the text. You see where I'm, I'm in major disagreement. See, this is where I'm in major disagreement. This is why I, no one likes me, because I don't fit in anywhere. But I'm going to, I, I have, I, I'm on a complete crusade. Uh, and, and I've talked about it a lot in 2022, and I'm probably going to talk about it a lot in 2023. What I think needs to happen in the church of Jesus Christ is the sermon needs to be destroyed. The concept of a sermon just needs to go. Well, like, Christians love to get together and burn books. 
we need to get together and burn sermons. Because I'm sick of hearing sermons. Because they do what? Think, think of this. Think of this table and all of these books. Think of this as the text. The sermon places the pulpit right in front of it. And says, don't look back there. Listen to me. And you know what I'm going to give you? That nice little introduction. Oh, don't you love those nice little introductions? Make you laugh a little bit. <laughs> that was cute, right? Give you three points. Tell you a sad story at the end. <laughs> the puppy died. <laughs> all right, everybody cry for a second. Okay, all right, all right. Yes, now we say amen. And then you all go, oh, that was beautiful, Pastor. What a great sermon. What a great sermon. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, some churches, some. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm talking even Reformed churches that may not do an altar call, right? And guess what? You walk out thinking it's wonderful, but if someone stopped you in the parking lot and really questioned you about the text, what would you give me? The sermon. And I cannot stand asking, asking Christians, hey, what, what did you learn in church today? They'll tell me the text. Right? I'll start asking questions about the text that you should think anyone should get from the text, right? And they'll be like, well, we didn't cover that. Then what did you do in church? If you don't get to the text, it's not there. Does, does that make sense? We got to get to the text. What they're trying to say is, is that, that basically the sermon becomes what? What are they basically calling for? that the sermon becomes law and gospel. And the sermon should be the text. Does everyone understand that? The text, the text, the text, the text, the text. And sometimes the text is what? Sometimes. And you just let that happen. You just let that happen. We, we, can't, we can't obliterate that. We can't obliterate. We cannot. We got to get people to the text. Does, does that make sense? It says the difficulty of, of properly dividing law and gospel is still greater in the pastor's private ministrations to individuals. They're saying, okay, if, it, if it's difficult, difficult enough to do it in the pulpit, it's very difficult to do it pract- practically. Well, what they're calling to do in the pulpit, I reject. Does everybody understand? I reject it. I reject it outright. And I sat under that law and gospel preaching as, as a Lutheran. And it's like, okay, great. They're going to give me the text. Now, if the text gives me the law and the gospel, I give both. But their job is like, oh, wait, this gave me three commands. All right, I'm going to give the three commands. Does everybody feel guilty? Now, remember, Christ died for you, and then they'll just go into the gospel. And it's like, well, and they would do it in like 20 minutes. Okay, which, guess what? I mean, I, you, I, I, all, I, all the, years, the years I was a Lutheran, the people I knew in the Lutheran church were biblically so illiterate it wasn't even funny. They may have known law and gospel, but they wouldn't know the text if the text drove up next to them because they never got the text. That that can't happen. That cannot happen. I won't allow that to happen. This is where we take our theology and try to do what? Impose it on the text. Look, let's get practical before we read this anymore. Because I know this is about law and gospel, but this is really about something more. As a believer, let me say this again. When you open your Bible and you start reading it or studying it, what do you never bring to your Bible study? 
What is not allowed in your Bible study? It's not allowed. It's forbidden. It's prohibited. Okay, well, good. Okay, you've been in the church long enough. First of all, we don't bring any presuppositions about the text, right? Meaning what? Everything you've ever learned about the text. Every sermon you've ever heard, every Bible study, everything you've ever learned about that text. When you open it and study it again, what happens to all of that information? I, I always get really blunt and it, it offends people, but what do you need to do? Before, like you get ready to sit down, you're like, okay, I got my notebook, okay, I got my, I got my Bible uh, app, I got, okay, I got everything, all right, okay, I'm going to study, I'm going to study. Oh, wait a minute, I got to do something. You go to the closet, you grab the gun. Make sure it's loaded, right? You're like, come on, Fluffy. We're going out back. And Fluffy is what? All the things you've learned in the past, all your presuppositions, and you go out back, and you're like, okay, Fluffy, I'll... Pop, 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 pop! Fluffy has to go. Now, when people hear this in the sermons, they get really, they get really irritated. Obviously, I am not calling for the harm of any animal. Everyone knows I'm the animal person, right? But Fluffy represents what? Your presuppositions. You have to kill them. Why do you have to kill them? Because all you will see is what you learn in the past. And what do I know about all of you? You're, okay. Well, obviously nobody wants to answer. I was like, I hope he doesn't know that about me. Okay. I got really quiet. Like, uh-oh, did he, did he see my phone? What's going on here? Okay. No. You're all fallible. Okay, no amen on that, okay? All right. You're all fallible, meaning what? Meaning you, you're, whatever interpretation you've ever come to in the past, there's a high probability that it was wrong. See, this is what drives you guys crazy. You're like, well, wait a minute, Pastor. I thought the last time you preached that, you said this. And what do I want to say? Why do you care about what I said last time? Because when I preach it again, do I care about what I said last time? I don't care what I said last time. Because it means what? It means absolutely nothing. It's useless. It's meaningless. It's a waste of time. Go through every Bible study exercise. There's like almost 400 now on the, on the Church One app. Go through any of, the, any of those texts that we studied. If I get ready to study this text again, am I going to say the same thing I said last time? Am I even going to look back to what I said last time? Am I going to look at my notes? No! It's irrelevant! Why? Because I could have been wrong. So the first thing we have to get rid of is our presuppositions. Okay, everyone, that's good. That's, that's good. Okay, that's... What's the second thing that has to go? This is the one I was really going for, but thank you. The presuppositions is, is a given. All right. What's the second thing that has to go? There's our presuppositions. And that basically deals with, for my illustration, all of our previous understanding of the text. All of the sermons, Sunday school lessons, everything we've ever heard about. It. What's the second thing that has to go? And it fits perfectly with what we're talking about in this thesis. They're telling you to bring what to it? What's the whole pur- purpose of the book? What are they telling you to bring to the text? Law and gospel. They're telling you to bring a theological idea to the text. 
Now, I do believe we need to have a proper distinction between law and gospel. But when I look to the text, what do I not bring with me? Let me make it very clear. I don't bring my theology to the text. You don't bring your reform theology. You don't bring your non-reform theology. You don't bring your, your, your eschatology, your soteriology. You don't bring any of it to the text. Because you do what? Study the text. If the text has soteriology in it, then guess what you learn for the first time? Soteriology. If it has eschatology, guess what you learn for the first time? If it has ecclesiology, okay, you go through them. Pneumatology, you go through all of them, right? Go through all the ologies. Why can you not bring your theology to it? Because you're imposing it on the text, right? So if I come to the text, I'm like, okay, I need to bring law and gospel. If the text is not giving me law and gospel, I just imposed it on the text. If, I, if I'm Reformed or Calvinist, I don't bring Calvinism to the text. I preach the text. If that, in, if that irritates or offends a Calvinist, get over it. I don't care. If it offends the non-Calvinist, get over it. I don't care. But what we learn is we learn our team's language, and then we bring our team's language to the text, where we only see then what our team says. Don't have a team. What team are you, should you be on? Do what? Team truth or team text? I'm on, the, I'm on this side. And so when I get ready to preach it, I don't care. And, and that has caused problems in this church, right? Because people are like, but you didn't preach that before. What do you think I'm doing here? Playing a game? That I'm supposed to say, well, we taught this before, so I'm going to teach it again. If that's what you want, go somewhere else. They'll give you the same garbage week after week after week after week because no one's willing to change any presupposition. I'm so sick of that. Church is nothing more than a club. It's just a gang. You got to wear your colors. What happens if you don't wear your colors in the wrong part of town? If, if anybody's ever lived where, I mean, I lived in the mean streets of Buffalo Gap, so I know this really, really well, okay? All right? All right? I mean it, right? Well, I was West Side, right? Okay? I know, I know how it works in the gang life, okay? No, I've seen movies. So I'm going to go with the movie idea of gang. If you go to the wrong block wearing the wrong color, Christianity is no different. Wear your color and stick to it. Don't go to the wrong block. It's just a game. It's a foolish game. Yeah, that's how we learned about covenant theology because I was going to give team covenant covenant theology. I was like, I'm just going to preach it. And everybody remembers what happened, right? Okay, we're in Jeremiah. I walked right over here and stopped and went. Wait a minute. I think I've gotten this wrong. Now, you're not supposed to do that in a sermon. Now, I could have I, I preached it, right? I was using Grudem's systematic theology. I had it down. I had it memorized. I didn't even need the book. But guess what I had to do when I preach it? Lay aside the presupposition 
And so when I lay aside the presupposition, or I lay aside, I should say, the theology, I saw, we were looking at the text. When I'm reading the text, what did I lay aside? The theology, and then I'm like, well, wait a minute. The covenant is made with whom? It says the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, I know my theology tells me that I'm supposed to interpret that as what? The church. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. They wouldn't have understood the church. And not only that, it uses two very specific phrases. House of Israel, house of Judah. Well, that's odd because the nation was divided. So why would he use that? He can't be using Nobody there would have been like, oh, that's the church. They would have thought, what would they have thought? That's us! That's us! Who was Jeremiah preaching to? Not us! He was preaching to them! They needed the comfort. Because what, was, what has been going on? They've been in Babylonian? And God, now God is promising, but I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to restore you. And I'm like, oh boy, we got a problem. And then he says, it's not like the covenant I made. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Covenant theology says that there was a covenant of works in the garden. Right? They failed that covenant. Then a covenant of grace in every other covenant is just a different like administration of that covenant. Well, I'm like, well, wait a minute. This can't be a, a, a different administration of the covenant of grace because he says it's completely. I'm like, well, that doesn't. Oh, I'm like, oh, we got problems, people. We got problems. We got problems. We got problems. And y'all were like, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean we got problems? I'm like, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to spend the next six months looking up every place where the word Israel occurs. And y'all were like, this? We're going to look up every verse that uses the word Israel? This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. We did it, right? Like 3,000 references. And what did we over and over and I gave you every the opportunity to find what? Show me where it's, if it's Israel or the church. Other than like one time, we, everyone, what? And we did that. And guess what I got? I got people arguing with me, telling me, no. And I'm like, well, did you look them up? No, you're wrong. Well, what is even the point? Because I didn't wear the color now, right? I wasn't wearing the right color. See, they didn't care about truth. They were mad that I changed colors. Get over it. Go find a church that will give you, they'll say, this is what we believe and we will never challenge anything. That's what church is. You're an independent fundamental Baptist. Every sermon has to be in line with what? With the color. You're either a Hiles Anderson independent fundamental Baptist or you're a Bob Jones or what are the other ones? Uh, I don't remember all the other schools. But you better represent the color. You don't represent the color, you're gone. Don't let law and gospel become our color. Our color will always be the text. We do not bring to the text what two things? Our presupposition, which means our previous understanding, or our theological system. I did, when, when I got to Jeremiah, what did I not bring with me? My theological system. And once covenant theology started falling apart, then what came in next? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. If we get rid of spiritual Israel, that means some of these promises that are in Isaiah that we said were for the church, that would mean they could possibly still be for Israel. So I had to go back to the text and throw aside what? Not only my presuppositions, but my theology. 
my theology. But guess what? The next time we're there, I could go right back to the previous. I, 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 who knows? Okay. And guess what? But you, know, you do know what? That, that, thank you very much. At least Diane knows this. Whatever I throw out, you do know this. That we'll start the whole process over. We'll go through the whole process. But so many times people don't want to go through the process with me. They just get mad and like, that's it. Well, and then I'll say, well, did you do this? Did you look this up? Did you look this up? Did you look this up? And then I'll be like, no. What's the point? You're right. What's the point? Who would think that a Christian would? It's just God's word. You're right. What's the point? You're right. That stuff drives me. It, it drives me mad. But this is basically promoting the idea of doing what? Bringing it to the pulpit. I'm not going to bring it to the pulpit. Don't bring it into your study. So if you get in it, I know this is a little different. Actually, it's still very much connected to law and gospel, all right? So let's make sure. What do we not bring to the text? Two things. What is a presupposition? Everybody tell me how we're using it for this illustration. Your previous understanding. What is the next thing you don't bring? Your theology. Because if you're not careful, you'll take your theology. Here's the text. What, what do I have laying over the... Te- people online can't see. What's laying over the Bible? The long gospel book. And that's, that, that, that becomes people's like security blanket. Becomes their color. Man, I got to read it according to my team. Man, I don't care about your stinking team. I don't care. Get, get offended all you want. I don't care about your team. I guess that's one good thing about my, my personality. I've never cared about the team, have I? <clears throat> about anything. So I don't care about the Christian team. We can't do that. We got to see the text. All right, now. Oh, man, alive. No, this can't happen. I, I have to stop. Ah. Oh. Okay. Well, it turned more into the preaching. I wanted to get into how we are supposed to deal with people, right? Because that's really the whole idea of being a, a fragrance of death or life. But, but because they basically imposed it upon the text, you see why I had to divert. I had to go, go, go deal with that. So if we don't get anything else this morning, let's make sure we get this. When it comes to the Bible and your own personal Bible study, you get ready to study what has to happen. Okay, you can use the funny illustration, load a gun, grab Fluffy, go to the back, Fluffy goes. Now, if, uh, when you're done, you may go like, man, Fluffy was right. I feel bad that I got rid of Fluffy. Okay, go back, find a way to revive her, and then you can bring her back in. Okay, but every time it's got to happen. Okay, but what do I mean by that? No and no theology. And I love theology. I have a podcast called. So I'm, am I opposed to theology? Learn the system. Know the system. Memorize the system. Am I always telling you to read the London Baptist Confession of Faith, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, the Westminster Confession of Faith? Read every one of them. Know them. But the minute I open my Bible, none of them matter. None of them exist. 
And guess what that can lead to? What did you say, Sarah? Exactly. Because I'm not bound by it. I'm not bound by it. And everyone says amen when I say that until I go against it. And then it's not, I don't get amen, I get goodbye. Isn't that weird how that works? Everyone's down with the concept. They're not down with it in practice. We have to be, and I, and I know I get really bothered by that, but I'm just, I, I just, I'm so tired of it. To me, Christianity and church is just a little game, man. Just show up. Just tell me what I want to hear, man. Just give me what I already know. Okay? Make sure it's quick and simple and I'll get home. And, and, and it's like, what? It's like some point, why do I even play the game? Just, just, just stay at home, man. Just, I don't, I'm just sick of all, I, I get so tired of it all. And we've got 2,000 years. Look at all the studies showing that we're not learning anything. Christians are more biblically and theologically illiterate than they've ever been. So all of the little small groups and all of the little games hasn't fixed one problem because nobody wants to deal with the reality. We've got a book here that's supposedly inspired by God, which is supposed to be, I, I thought, I don't know, see if this reminds us, our sole authority. Scripture No, it's our team alone. Don't go against the team. Well, your team doesn't have anything to say with my Bible study. And I don't care which team. We hold the London Baptist Confession of Faith. I'll disagree with it any time I need to. If the text leads me to disagree with it, right? So when some people say, what's your doctrine? I say, we base our theology on the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, Athanasian Creed, and the London Baptist Confession. Why do I say now based? Because that influences us, but what will always take precedent? Always will take precedent. And when I study it, I don't bring any of that to it. Well, we may refer back to it. Oh, absolutely. But we got to get the text down first. Then after we get the text down, then we go back and pick up our London Baptist Confession of Faith and what we, what will we may do. I don't know about that. Based off what? I don't go to the London Baptist to interpret the scripture. I go to the scriptures to interpret. Amen. Guess what? We've been reading this book. Whenever they mention scripture, what do I immediately do when we get to the scripture? Throw the book aside. Go to the scripture and then come back to the book. And what have we done multiple times? I don't think the book is using the scripture correctly because I don't care about the team. Well, we got to get that down. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this afternoon. Lord, I thank you that I'm in a church where I cannot have a team. I hope this church is not committed to a team, but that we're committed to the text. Do we do, are we committed to it imperfectly? Everyone in this room has to acknowledge we do it imperfectly. Do we mess it up? Absolutely. Will we continue to mess up? Absolutely. All we can promise, Lord, is that we will do everything in our power to always be committed to the text with all of our mistakes. And forgive us for every time we've mishandled your word or misinterpreted your word, but never let us stop desiring to understand it and understand it alone. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...